Now turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4, where we're continuing in our study of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Verses 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. God bless his word to our hearts and minds, shall we pray. O Father in heaven, send your spirit in fuller measure into our hearts. Give us understanding in our minds. Give us warm affections in our hearts. Give us purpose and verb in our wills, that we may not do our will, but your will. In Christ's name, amen. Walk worthy in God's church. Paul begins, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Notice he describes it as a vocation like a job, when you study for a vocation, whatever that may be, requiring whether you go to some trade school or night school, adult school, college, or maybe you're self-taught, but if you're working with somebody who is successful at a business, then you want to do that business. Like in the old days when someone would work for his father, right? Mr. Smith and do blacksmithing. So whatever it is. In this case, the vocation is being a believer, a child of God, a follower of Christ, a member of his, of his church and his kingdom. He begins, therefore, I therefore, meaning the doctrine that proceeded before that he taught, the doctrine of Christ's love, his constraining love, and all the implications of that love, all the applications of that that extend throughout the whole universe because of the length and breadth and depth and height of it, are now to be implemented and carried out in good fashion. Doctrine leads to duty. The Reformed, that is Reformed Church, the Reformed believers, are known for having sound doctrine. They excel at that, if I may put it that way, without getting a big head. But how about sound life? Hmm. That's not something that is often associated along with the sound doctrine. And there are reasons for that. I won't get into it this time. But nevertheless, that is the implication of, of, of the message this morning. That is the purpose of it. Walking worthy in God's church. John says in his second letter, Grace be unto you. Mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. There's the combination, in truth and in love. And so, how do we walk worthy? 
godly attitude and with godly actions. First, with a godly attitude. Verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Oh, this sounds so laborious, doesn't it? Because every time I, I, I hear each one of those, I, I get like I start to do this, like I'm slumping down into my chair. I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to feel the weight of, of, of this because I'm not there. I'm just not there. And if you're honest, you would have to agree. Don't agree about me, but about yourself, I'm speaking about. Loneliness or humility. There's no Latin or Greek word for humility in the vocabulary of the Apostle Paul in his day. So the word for humility was something probably coined by Christians and perhaps even the Apostle Paul himself to describe a quality for which there wasn't a word available. In Philippians 2, 3 through 5, for example, we encounter this big time because the example here is the one par excellence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I won't read the whole thing, but uh, let me read 3 through 5. Let me read 1 through 5. If there, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. There we have it. There it is. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Whoa. See what I mean? You look at that, and when when have I done that? Huh. Let's just talk about today. When have I done that today? I haven't even begun, have I? No. Well, coming here, perhaps, you know, have a fellowship uh, of the saints. Uh, but reading on, look not every man on his own things. That's our propensity. But every man also, don't, don't neglect your own things, okay? Do them. But also on the things of others. Ha! <laughs> That's the rub. Do we make that time? See, because it doesn't happen. Naturally, our whole time is consumed uh, on ourselves and on our things and on our, well, our own interests. Let's, let's, let's face it, you know, we have, we have a lot on our plate, right? And it can be very distracting to the kingdom of God, to seek the first kingdom of God. But that's, that's the order. That is the Lord's order. And then to illustrate to give himself let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Because he illustrated this in a way that no one has, no one will ever be able to. He was in the form of God. He was God in his essence, in his nature, in his being. And he condescended to us he took upon the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. He took on a second nature, a second being, if you will, and that is the human being. That in order that in this body he could die the death of the cross. 
And it says that he was obedient unto, the, unto death, even the death of the cross. He was obedient. There is no swerving from that on his part. Although there was a temptation in the garden, if you recall, to drink of this cup, and yet the will of the Father prevailed in his heart, and he went on. With his face set as a flint, not just to Jerusalem, but beyond to Golgotha and Calvary. And so this is our Lord's example of lowliness of mind. And let this be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then meekness or gentleness. It's a fruit of humility. If you're a humble servant, as Christ calls upon us to be, this will be a fruit of humility, meekness, or mild-spiritedness, self-control. It's also called temperance in Galatians 5. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which I'll talk about shortly, gentleness, there it is, goodness, faith, meekness, there it is again. There are a little bit different aspects to them, but they're very similar. Goodness, goodness, faith, weakness, temperance. Again, such there is no law. Meaning, if this is evident in your life, and you're walking in the Spirit, and you're being obedient to Jesus Christ and to the Word of God, no one can point the finger at you and say, aha, although they might, like in the case of Christ, who was perfect, they might, but they won't have anything on you. They won't have the goods on you. <laughs> and that's a, a comfort, right? To your conscience and to your soul. Now, we should, we should be uh, meek, like Moses, of whom it was said in the scriptures, in Numbers 12, 3, what? Numbers 12, I really like this. Wow. This is a revelation. To me it was, when I first encountered this. Numbers 12, 3. What does it say in Numbers 12, 3? Now the man Moses was very meek. Above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Can you imagine that? Now Moses was writing about himself, actually, because he wrote the book of Numbers. But nevertheless, it's the truth. God would not allow it to be in the word of God if it wasn't. And notice that it's in parenthesis. Meaning it's not part of the main text. It's like something that was inserted in order to make a point. And that is that Moses was qualified. He was not a spokesman because he had the demeanor of one who could speak with authority as a humble servant of the living God. Or we should have even more so the meekness of our Lord Jesus Christ, like what is found in Matthew 11. So Matthew 11. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. There's a yoke. It's like what holds the two oxen. Two oxen together. Plow the field evenly, right? That's, that's the yoke. And it's used as a similitude of our service to Christ. So he says, Take my yoke. I'm already underneath the yoke. So come underneath. It 
with me and partner with me and learn for in me and lowly in Christ. Like the rest of saints. In other words, he is of a gentle spirit. He is the gentle shepherd talked about in Isaiah. He is talked about as the one who bears uh, the lambs in his arm, who leads the ewes gently by his side. That's how we are to be like. And on this basis, he bids us to come to him and follow him. And his yoke is not, is not heavy. But also, we are to have the godly attitude of long-suffering. Long-suffering, right? It says in our text, back in Ephesians, chapter 4, it says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering. Matthew Henry said, by lowliness, understand humility, which is opposed to pride. By meekness, that excellent disposition of soul, which makes men unwilling to provoke and not easily to be provoked themselves or offended. To suffer long or long-suffering is what this is about. Meaning, bearing with the infirmities of others. Like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, if you heard or if you recall. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Charity or love suffereth long. It starts with long suffering. And is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It doesn't put itself above others. It's not puffed up. It's not proud. It does not behave itself unseemly in very irregular and weird ways. You know, it doesn't act that way. Seeks not her own. And that's why. Because true love is not after what's his first, but after what's others before him. Is not easily provoked. There you go. Thinketh no evil, but tries to think good of others, not always suspecting and wondering what the other's motives are. Leave that to God. Judge not lest you be judged, Christ teaches. Focus on the moat, the, the beam in your own eye before you even endeavor to help that brother with the moat in his eye. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. There you go. And then, lastly, forbearing one another in love. You've heard of the two bearers of Scripture. Not three, two. To bear and to forbear. And by the way, that's an important uh, qualification for two people who are to be married, is to be like Papa bear, mama bear. Bearing and forbearing. How's that? Ephesians 4.32 talks about that in our, in our book. 
and be kind one to another. Shall I read the verse before? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Let all malice, just let it be swept away, be gone. And in its place, be kind one to another, tender heart, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That's where we need to be. That's where we need to move to. That is the next level to which we ascend. You know about that? That's the next juncture. And the sheep are being led by the shepherd up the mountain. That's the next pasture. And then there's another pasture after that, and another one after that. That's how we ascend the hill of the Lord. Matthew Henry also said with regard to this aspect of our attitude, we find much in ourselves for which we can hardly forgive ourselves. Ever done that or ever encountered that where you did something that you just cannot forgive yourself for, even though God is forgiven you, for Christ's sake? Okay, hold on to that. Therefore, we must not be surprised if we find in others that which we think is hard to forgive. <laughs> Interesting, huh? We need to turn that around and put ourselves in the other person's shoes. Isn't that the, the, oftentimes what we talk about is when we are helping people out and like counseling people, I, I, I have to put myself in their shoes. And when I do, I begin to see things as God sees as God sees us, as God sees me, and sees those in whom I am in relationship with. And we begin to then make progress to that next level. So that is essential. Uh, there is a, a book like that uh, many of us had and, and, and maybe still have and enjoy. It's called Winsome Christianity. And there's one chapter, very, very short chapters of examples of being winsome. You have to be winsome to win some. How's that? <laughs> Someone told me that years ago. And in one chapter, there was, uh, I think it was the author, who bumped into somebody on the street. And apparently it was you know, pretty, pretty, pretty like surprising, jolting. And then immediately he said, if it was my fault, forgive me. But if it's your fault, think nothing of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we have to be, okay? And then with godly actions, verse 3 of our passage, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Whoa. That's a lot of hard work. This word endeavoring makes me tired. And the word means to hasten, to be eager, to be zealous. It sounds like what the Bible says about living a Christian life. <laughs> It has to be in your heart. It has to be your passion. And if you have the attitude, for example, this is a, an example, that you've arrived, or you have the example that we're the only true church. Have you heard that before? Or our church, maybe you don't say that, but maybe you say, our church is better than the other churches because 
They don't have this, this, and this. Or they have something that we don't believe is in the scripture. And it may be true. But if that is your attitude, it's a wrong attitude. And by the way, wrong attitudes lead to, lead to what? Wrong actions or responses. But if your attitude is one of endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, then you're on track with Christ. Now, however that's accomplished, and let him lead the way. You know, always, with everything you do, begin with prayer, right? It's not my brothers, not my sisters, me, Lord, that stands in the need of prayer, and pray for yourself. Now, the word bond, the bond of peace, is described as the joint or ligament of the body. And so the bond that you know, connects, you know, the hip bone connected to the, you know, backbone, and, you know, that, that's all. So it's, the bond is, is what connects, it's like the cement that, that, that joins them together, like the joints and ligaments. But think about this, how out of sort you can be when your knee goes out, or when you have something go wrong with your hip, or your shoulder. Now some of us have issues like that, and as we get older, guess what? They seem to happen more frequently. <laughs> and thankfully so far, they, they, they go away after a while. Maybe they don't go away quite as fast as they used to, but they still go away. Praise God. But when you have a torn ligament, when you have a broken bone, as some of my our brethren have experienced, you can't operate. You're down. And that's what can and does happen to the body of Christ. All the time. Just like in real life. In human life. What do you do? You know what you do? Of course you pray. But what do you do? You do your best. You do the best under the circumstances. You harness all whatever is needed, information. You go to your brother and you help them to, and, and, and the two of you, or, or the group of you, to put your heads together, right? Because two heads are better than one, and more are better than one. And uh, if, if two logs burn uh, well together, how much more three? And a three-fold three cord is not to be broken. That's all God asks. He's not going to ask you to be a successful Christian or a successful minister or a successful church worker or whatever, successful pianist, successful elder, successful deacon, or successful church member. Because that's his department. But he's asking you to be the best that you can child of God. There's a hymn. I love this hymn. We're not going to sing it, but I'll read it to you. And I will definitely not sing it. I'll hold, hold that. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Maker's throne, we pour our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims, our one, our comforts, and our we share each other's woes 
each other's burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathetic tear. I have to say that this last uh, classes meeting we had, which was the first one in two years that we were there in person, face to face, was just so, can I say like, almost like heaven for me. I just felt this camaraderie and this fellowship and this closeness with, with everybody that I met. Even the young people and the families that were there that came to the worship service that we had uh, uh, at the beginning was, was just so different. Uh, I just felt so blessed and thankful. Well, we must continue on with the last point. Walk worthy? Why? And the first reason is, it is God's church. It says in 4 through 6 of Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called to one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So there is one, I mean, it is God's church. Let me emphasize that. It is the church of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We say, that, we say that Christ is the head of the church, but really, the Father is the head of the church. He fathered the church, and he sent his Son to be its head on earth in his behalf. And it is the habitation of the Spirit, meaning that here in his church, his Spirit lives, even in the hearts of his people. And it is the only one I think that's evident from what I read right from the passage. There's one church even as God is one. It's the bride Christ bled for and died for and rose again for. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, the apostle says later in this book. The church may not be worthy, but Jesus is. And might I add, he is worthy for us. It says in Revelation, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Earlier in verse 1 of our passage, Paul describes himself as the prisoner of the Lord. It's a gentle reminder of the cost of some which was paid, like the Apostle Paul, for the one who saved them. Jesus Christ. He says elsewhere, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If you love the Lord, who loves you, you will love because his church are nothing less, nothing else than his blood bought children that includes, yes, moi, of yourselves and yourselves. We know how challenging it is to live for God by living for his church. If we were just to live for, 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 for God, if we were only to live for Jesus and Worshipped in the mountains somewhere, as, as some you know have done, some are prone to do. Back in 
the Middle Ages, uh, they had those who sat upon pillars, you know, and uh, that, that to get as far away from the world as they could, far away from people, in other words. I mean, they do that. And they love God. I'm not going to question the love for Christ. But if you can love Christ by being part of his body and being there through thick and through thin for God's people, that is like being a prisoner to the Lord of God. We know it's challenging, and I'll tell you why. Because the Bible describes us as uh, something in Jeremiah 12, 9. Look at that in closing. Jeremiah 12, 9. It's came to my mind. No, we're, we're very much like this creature that's described in Jeremiah 12, 9. My heritage is unto me as a speckled bird. I think of speckled bird like a multicolored bird, like a pheasant, for example. Right. Or peacock. Yeah, there you go, peacock. <laughs> like a peacock. <laughs> the birds around about her are against her. Jealous. Jealous birds. Ooh, angry birds. Ooh. <laughs> come ye assemble all the beasts of the field. Come to devour. Oh, poor thing. You know, I uh, saw so we, we read on the way uh, home last Sunday, we ran into a beautiful husky. And it looked like it was lost. And it was. It didn't have a color, nothing. We just feel so sad for, for uh, God's creatures when they're uh, in that condition. Uh, I might let you know for your relief that we prayed that the owner would find it. And we put out what we had, which was a cracker. And it crumbled it up. And we borrowed a bowl from the neighbor that was nearby so we could put water in. And, and so we put that out. But when, Lo and behold, when we went to where the dog formerly was, it was gone. And we looked and looked and looked, and so we couldn't get God answered. But you know what? That doesn't that, that also applies to the church. And how the church is like that, that, that lost animal that's been kicked upon by the world. And so we need to be there for them as best as we can. And think about this. We are of every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue. Are we not? And some churches more represent that than others, and that should be the goal. Be a representative of the community in which you are found, whatever the diverse population of it may be. And so we are like the Heinz 57, I like to call it. And also one more thing. A chain is as strong as its weakest link, isn't it? And the apostle talks about the body of Christ as having members, some that are more feeble than others. And he says that the feeble ones are more necessary. And he says that you don't uh, bestow honor on the ones that are already with honor, but on those that have less. So that ultimately all come up to par with one another. And the body is edified. And the church is built up. And so if God, God, does this to the least of these, our brethren, by building his church, because he said, after all, I will build my church. Should we not, as his instruments, be about the same?
bestowing honor on those that need it most. And when we do, we do it as unto the Lord. And so, walk worthy in Christ's church. Amen? Father, help us. This is a tall order. This is an insurmountable and overwhelming and impossible task apart from you, our head, and the Holy Spirit who indwells us, enabling us to do it. So to this end, we commit this and ask that more and more you would work that passion and commitment in us to do our utmost for the highest, even you. In Jesus' name.